Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. It's that time again. It is time for our limited edition quarterly box. And this fall, we are celebrating all things feminist thriller. So we've got three very different thrillers that we have put together, curated in this box. We have The Spare Room by Andrea Bartz, Hurricane Blonde by Hallie Sutton, and Happiness Falls by Angie Kim. These are very different vibes, but are going to leave you on the edge of your seat. We are pre-ordering these boxes. So pre-orders open on August 1st and run until the end of August. I'm not sure exactly what date we're going to do that cutoff. So if you want it, get it. And then they will start shipping the first week of September. We are doing these by pre-order only. You can go to feministbookclub.com shop. Get your fall feminist thriller box and stay tuned for more content, more information, more sneak peeks of what's going to be in our fall feminist thriller box. Again, that goes on sale August 1st and you're not going to want to miss it. Hi, my name is Ashley. My pronouns are she, her, and I am joined today with Noelle Crooks to talk about her book, Under the Influence, particularly about power, influencing, and microaggressions in the workplace. And then what is, my question for you is, what is your definition of feminism? My name is Noelle Crooks and pronouns are she, her. And I love this question about feminism because I feel like the word feminism or feminist has become kind of unpopular in recent years, but I personally find it uncomplicated. To me, feminism is genderless and it's just a set of values, a way of living, and it assumes every person has a right to opportunity, to chances, and and to equality. Thank you. And what is Under the Influence about? Under the Influence is my debut novel, and it is about a young woman who ends up getting a job for a self-help influencer, Charlotte Green, and she begins the job sort of not really sure what it's all going to be and ends up kind of finding out that this influencing world and this company is not all that she thought it might be. And she realizes this dark side of being a girl boss. When I scroll through Instagram, I feel like I'm inundated with like honest reviews and how to look this way for the summer. And it's so much about influencing. And I think that there's a way for it to be impactful and interesting. But unfortunately, power gets in the way. And we see that in the book with Charlotte is how she she could have the best intentions, but power just becomes something that takes away from her ability to actually be impactful. How does power manipulate influencing? It manipulates influencing just as much as it probably influences other careers as well, because I think as soon as you have money plus power, it can really create just that perfect storm of wanting more, which is exactly what we see with Charlotte, which is the more followers she gets, the more praise she gets, the more money she gets, 
the more she's putting pressure on her team, the more she has unrealistic expectations. And so I do think with any other occupation, definitely influencing being one of them, when you are doing it for the wrong reasons, you are going to be easily manipulated by superficial things like money, power, followers. And we also see Charlotte and her family, they're just trying to portray this cookie cutter image of my husband and our children and there's never a mess in our house. And it just provides this really unrealistic scope of like, yeah, there's flour on the counter and just anything like that. Like you're a human being. Of course, your house is going to be messy or your relationship is. But how do you work through those issues? And also Charlotte coming across as a one person machine and people not realizing that there is a whole team behind her, especially with her assistant helping her make sure that the brand is growing and it's reaching its audience. Absolutely. And I think that is a huge part of social media nowadays, too, is when we are on social media, having that lens of you know, is this person being authentic? Is this person being genuine? As we saw with Charlotte, she is showing such a curated image of what she wants people to see. And I don't think that that is unique. I think a lot of people are probably doing that on social media right now. And I think it is something as a consumer of social media that I would want people to be mindful of is to sort of ask questions and to not always believe everything that we see when we're scrolling. Harper, who is the main character who gains this role to work with Charlotte, she's talking with Charlotte and describes who her family is. And she mentions that her mom is Filipino. And and Charlotte says, love that feminism. And it was just a moment that was like, oh, honey, that is the bare minimum of feminism. Where is Feminist Book Club for Charlotte to know about? <laughs> and one thing that I was curious about is just the microaggressions and how they come across in the workplace and how something as simple as that actually can create a complicated workplace. How did those say the, the, the interactions between Charlotte and Harper in particular create a challenging work environment? Yeah, I think it's definitely challenging, especially when you have a power dynamic, right? So you have Harper, who is this new employee. She's clearly going into the entire experience, really naive. She didn't even know who Charlotte Green was until she started doing research later on, sort of after she's already said yes to this job. And Charlotte, who is the founder, the face, just the head at the top. So I think in a lot of ways, specifically, though, when you have a situation where the power balance is off and you have somebody doing these microaggressions, it makes it a very difficult workplace because Harper is sitting there going, you know, I just started this job. It's uncomfortable. You want to speak up, but you know your place in the pyramid, which is I'm a new employee. I'm at the bottom. I've moved my whole life here and I just want to keep my head down. But then you've had your boss who has just said something that is offensive to you. And we can see that on the page that Harper is hearing some of these things. She's realizing there's a point in the book where Charlotte talks about oh, Harper must be so good at karaoke because she's from the Philippines. So everybody I know who's Filipino is a great karaoke singer. And and during those moments, Harper is 
is thinking about those microaggressions and you can tell she's marinating on it and she's trying to figure out how that settles with her because it is unsettling and it's something I wanted to include in the book because it is a reality a lot of people face today. And it goes back to the power dynamics as you were talking about just how, you know, Harper wants to just know her role, but she also knows that she's a powerful writer and she has intentions and she has goals, but it's just kind of like, I have to get through this in order to get to the next step. And it causes her to decide what choices that she wants to make. So she becomes a very impactful character amidst the story. Yes. Absolutely. And I think for Harper, she she's sort of letting some of the beginning ones slide, but then you can really tell that as her time progresses there, the more microaggressions, the more just actions that Charlotte is doing either to her or to the company, it's it's not settling, it's not settling well for her. So to conclude the conversation. What organization would you like to amplify that is important to you? Yeah, I love this question. So for me, the organization is called We Are Dream, and it is actually a charter school here in New York that I've worked with, that I have volunteered at, and they are incredible. They provide amazing education for people in New York and students that live in marginalized areas and it's a place that I've gone to and have seen just incredible students, met incredible students, seen the work, the beautiful school that they've built. So I I would love to give a shout out to them because they mean so much to me. Thank you for shouting them out. And Noelle Crooks, thank you for joining us to talk about Under the Influence. Thank you so much. If you are a fan of Taylor Jenkins Reid, Jacqueline Woodson, Kylie Reid, Christina Enriquez, or Lisa Ko, I have a book that you are going to want to read immediately. Sweet Soft Plenty Rhythm by Laura Worrell was just released in paperback and is the sexy, passionate, honest, and raw literary novel you've been craving. Don't take it from me though, the accolades are numerous. Sweet Soft Plenty Rhythm was named Book of the Year by Oprah Daly and Kirkus, and one of the most anticipated books from the Washington Post, People, Literary Hub, and more. It was nominated for the Penn Faulkner Award and the Andrew Carnegie Medal for Excellence in Fiction. So yeah, it has some meat to it. Sweet Soft Plenty Rhythm is the story of a messy jazz man we love to hate and the women who love him and are loved by him. This isn't romance, but it's definitely romantic. This book is a real look at women's love, from family to friends to lovers to partners. It's a story about bad boys, about music, and about the multitudes of women's stories. So if you love multiple points of view in a literary novel, one that shows the messiness and the complications of love, and novels that really champion the stories of women, you can't miss Sweet Soft Plenty Rhythm by Laura Worrell, now available in paperback from Vintage. Hi, everyone. My name is Jordi, and my pronouns are she, her, and I'm joined today by Alana, pronouns she, they, a fellow contributor to talk about a book called The Seven Exes by Lucy Vine. In this book, our main character, Esther, is nearing her 30s. She's got a great job and even better best friends, but she feels as if her life is not complete without finding the one. 
We follow Esther as she relives her past and tries to rekindle her love with her former partners because she is afraid that the love of her life is an ex she let go. While reading this book, it's hard not to think of maybe the societal, familial, or personal expectations that we sometimes put on ourselves to find a partner or soulmate. And then we can start questioning whether or not we should have stayed with our exes. I had a really, really fun time reading this book. It was one of the few times where I feel like humor really translates through the page where I was laughing out loud. I really enjoyed all of the characters. I love a good English novel. You wouldn't think that we talk that differently, but I literally have had to adjust to like reading Talia Hibbert or anything like that. So I really, really enjoyed getting to sort of do that again. And just the little differences in, in culture as well. I agree. I definitely found myself laughing at a lot of the different moments that we saw between Esther and her friends and her former partners. And I found myself relating a lot to kind of romanticizing the past and thinking maybe I should have done things differently. And if I could go back, what would I do? So I thought it was a lot of fun watching someone else kind of do that. So I didn't have to do that. Yeah, I thought that was a really, really interesting aspect of the book because it felt, it's it's mentioned in the book in conversation, but like it's kind of scary to do that in a way that she did it in this sort of support system that she had when she's diving into her past was really, was really interesting. And I was really sort of proud of her ability to self-reflect and be able to take a lot of stuff that wasn't maybe too fun to hear about herself and about her actions and really like literally each time just be able to be like oh okay like that was not very cash money of me how can I fix it now and she was pretty consistent about that which I really appreciated yeah reflecting on everything that Esther kind of went through what do you think of this idea that some people may feel incomplete without a partner I have lots of feelings about that I think ultimately it is the result of patriarchal ideas and actions. Susan Sontag, her son actually is responsible for the latest collection of her essays, which is called On Women. And the first two or three essays talk about basic dad in sort of indirect way, like the double standard behind like beauty and marriage and the idea that like women are supposed to basically like graduate high school, enter college. Obviously, these were written in the early 70s, but I felt like a lot of it still applied to today, but like graduate college and immediately, like if they're not married by the time they're 24, sometimes 26, 27, blah, 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 it starts to look bad on them. Whereas men are encouraged to try to live their life as, you know, well into their lives as they can without being married because the idea for them is that that's like freedom and like blah, 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 blah. I think that carries on in this book because that's such a big thing. Like the book kicks off with her being like, I'm 29 and I'm like not married and like blah, 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 blah. That also looks different for England as well, where like divorce was like a really, really big issue until fairly recently. Whereas in the States, we've pretty much been able to do that for like a while. And so, yeah, I think that it's definitely something that exists. I feel like. It shouldn't exist. I feel like I really enjoyed Sophia, who was the upstairs neighbor, and her sort of freedom and ideas 
about love and her she kind of she's this like 70 like three-year-old woman who just and she's french who's just like live laugh loving the entire book which i really i really really appreciated her presence and then there's even like bb for who you know is like you know i'm much happier being single but her friendship and she's very protective over her friendship and things like that for so much of the book yeah i think that it's something created by men and I think it's more of an issue for people who choose to present as women and I think that that the origin of that is like not in our favor in short (laughs) sorry for my rant no that's great I I found myself relating a lot to Esther's story where it's like I had this idea you know that you know by a certain age I was gonna have you know a partner and then at this age I was gonna start having kids And, you know, getting up to like your 30s, which is kind of where I'm at too, you know, that's still really young and there's still so much more to life than just finding somebody who you think is your romantic soulmate. And like you said, in the book, you have Sophie and she was just kind of a grounding presence that I appreciated because it was like having, you know, this wise, older woman in your life to kind of give you advice and you know I think it was interesting too how Esther viewed Bibi's perspective on relationships because Esther thought there was no way you could feel totally fine not having somebody in your life and of course like even if you say that surely there's a deeper part of you that's still kind of hopefully wishful thinking that you know you're going to find that one day and so I kind of liked how the book showed that but then was able to portray how, you know, your friendships and other relationships in your life are just as important. So how do you feel about friendships and platonic relationships? Not necessarily filling the void of what you think a partnership should be, but having them in your life to kind of be with you in those moments. I think people are naturally social creatures. And I think that those friendships are sometimes more imperative than like romantic relationships because something that this is going to sound really crazy out of context my parents are super cool they're super great people they're super cool with each other but like one thing my dad said to me is that like sometimes when you're like your friend group is small for whatever reason at the time it's like you get to a point that even in relationships little things happen and you still need to get them out like you you, you can't talk to your partner about your partner you have to go like you have to find some other source to sort of like like he left the he keeps leaving his clothes on the floor or whatever like that. Like I think that friendships are life saving, and I think there are friendships that sometimes are so strong that they feel like they might tip over into the the sort of romantic sphere and. I think that's because that love can feel like that. Sometimes I think sometimes those people try those relationships out and they decide, oh, like we're better as friends. And that happens because of that. I, I think, yeah, I think friendship is like a really, really beautiful thing. And I feel like we should have more movies that are less about pursuing love. Basically like this book and more about how we cherish our relationships and rebuild them. They foster because people go through things with each other, like with Alex and Esther. Yeah, I think friendships are great. I also reading The Wall right now, and she, the main character, has this relationship with this dog named Lynx, 
and I'm in a book club about it, and we were just talking about like how her friendship with this dog who is so communicative, even though he can't speak a verbal language that we could just understand, but he's very physical and like getting her up every morning and blah, 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 blah. We're going through this really insane thing, like how that friendship, despite the fact that there are other animals that she deals with, literally saved her life in so many instances. So yeah, I think in short, folks are really social creatures. If you got a friend, tell them you love them. It doesn't have to be weird. Get that person you haven't talked to in a really long time, send them a text, send them an email if they're weird about contact. Call them and have a small time. In short. Yes, I I think that friendships are so important. And, you know, recently I've been hearing a lot about, you know, you can have platonic soulmates. And I feel like, at least in my life, like I have, my sister and a couple best friends where it's like, you know, they're so awesome and their presence in my life is enormous and I love them so much. And it's like, you know, if I could find a romantic partner that kind of had the same characteristics, qualities and the same type of relationship as them, but just like obviously a little bit different with the romantic side, that would be amazing. So I think a lot of times platonic relationships are underrepresented and I think that's something that should change in the future. And then to kind of bring up the question that was asked in the book, do you ever think that it is a good idea to go back to an ex or a former partner? I am never, like even when I'm like reading stuff or watching something, I'm never immediately anti-go back to ex. I think that it is, I think it is super dependent on what sort of happened and the growth, like the growth of those people since said breakup or whatever led to said breakup, which is kind of why I was like super excited that when I started reading the book, because of how they sort of, how open she was diving into these exes and once again, acknowledging like her end of it in making the adjustments if they were necessary and just kind of hearing people out and seeing what they were doing. And it even just like was Paul, you know, accepting that that person is like what that person actually was. Yeah. I think that it's totally up to the people. I have this aunt and uncle who were married for like 13 years and divorced for like seven, got remarried and had a kid and they've been together ever since. And I think about that like daily. So I just think that's so freaking cool. And I've never seen that like outside of a movie. I'm sort of in a relationship where I'm, this is going to sound super crazy, but the Cosby show, in the Cosby show, the relationship between the Huxtables is that they were like, they're their first like relationship. I've been in my, I've dated before with this relationship. I've been in it for like five years. And and it's like my high school sweetheart. And we like live together and we have like cats and stuff. So I have this sort of very, and I'm also 22. So like a lot of this book is like, I don't actually have the tools or the experiences to prevent because I've been super secure in that in some shape, form or fashion. So that's why I'm referencing so many books. But no, I think that's, cool but I think it's definitely 
it's definitely dependent upon the people. I don't think everyone should have a, I don't think everyone should have a go in short. I think that's awesome for you. It's super sweet that you're with your high school sweetheart right now. I agree with you. I think it's all dependent on the circumstances and if there's been growth on both sides for both people in the relationship. And I think time also has something to do with that because, you know, if you've just broken up with somebody, unless it's something like crazy, if it's been like a month, maybe not circle back right away. And, you know, like while I was reading this book, I was thinking, you know, like, would I ever go back with any of my exes? And most of the time it's a hard no, but like sometimes it's hard not to romanticize you know, the the best aspects of your relationships. And there's certainly times where I've been like, you know, like in that moment, like I was the bad guy. Like I wasn't mature enough. I was careless with somebody's emotions. And I really appreciated seeing that in the story, how Esther was able to reflect on both her actions and her partner's. And I think that's really important because I feel like if you can't do that and you can't admit either where you were wrong or where you needed to grow, and if you've done that already, maybe circling around back to your past is the best because then you could fall into the same type of behaviors and mistakes that you had already made. And so I I just, I had so much fun reading this book and I enjoyed my own self-reflection throughout the process. And it was, it was definitely a fun read. It was no, it was super, super fun. And I completely agree with what you're saying, which I mentioned that earlier, but I, I really was happy to see a character that was so willing to be like, I I dropped the ball. And like you said, that's that's also super important, like recognizing the like just just I think in dating just in general, just being in a relationship is that if you can't really accept the fact that you might have fucked up, because we're a human, like it's fine. I think we have this this notion that like if we do that then we're a bad person especially because i think culturally we're sort of prone to like as soon as especially with like in a heterosexual relationship as soon as a man fucks up it's like he's like he's dead to me sort of thing but no i think that it's super super important to be like okay that wasn't like the best thing that i've ever done but also on the other end of that if your partner is like oh i'm sorry like i didn't I didn't mean to do that, allowing them time to change that behavior because it's not immediate, especially depending upon what it is. It may be something that they were taught or something that they had learned from an experience that they have to sort of deconstruct and figure out who they sort of are without that action or how they move around or how they communicate differently. But yeah, the book was so fun and it was really refreshing. and. Uh, yeah, I think it's like if you just want a fun sort of like romance, I think it's or just not even a romance, but like a, a great, a great example of like friendship amongst women, um, which is something I feel like we need more examples of anyway. And I've been sort of loud about that. This is a great book to read. Yeah, it has so much fun. And the author messaged me on threads. If you guys are on threads now, and she's also very pleasant. So, yeah. Yeah, you heard it, folks. This is, I, I gave this one a solid four out of five stars. What about you? Yes, solid four. I think, I think, is there, I mean, Talia Hibbert is like my girl. I would devour anything that she puts on the page, but this is up there. It's like one of my favorite sort of like romance experiences. 
yeah, it was definitely, I, I also love Talia Hibbert and those are some of my favorite books. I definitely laughed a lot throughout this book. And if you can, I would listen to it on audio because the audio narrator does such an amazing job with, you know, the characters and different situations. And it was just so much fun to read. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to us. Go out and grab a copy if you haven't already and have a happy readings. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for brownie points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. A well-read woman is a dangerous creature, creature.